Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to The Drummer's Pathway podcast. This episode features my conversation with Rob Wallace. Rob is the co-founder, along with Paul Siegel, of DCI Music, that have produced many classic drum education video releases which are considered to be essential viewing. Rob went on to establish Hudson Music and is highly regarded as a leader in the drum publishing industry. Although best known for his contribution to drum education, Rob is still an active drummer on the scene and finds passion through remaining a vital part of the drum community. In our conversation, we reflect back on many of the classic projects in which he has been involved. We also discuss how the drum education industry has evolved and get a preview of some of the amazing upcoming projects that Hudson Music has in the works. Let's get started. So, Rob, it's an absolute pleasure for me to get an opportunity to connect and chat with you today. I have been a follower and a fan of the products that you have put out throughout my entire drumming career, going back into the early 80s with the advent and the innovation of the DCI drum videos, which have become iconic introductions into breaking down the wall and giving drummers access to some of the legends, which is something that you have really had a huge hand in starting. And I'm also really interested in kind of looking at the journey from that point into what you've accomplished with Hudson Music at this point in your career. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, yet to finally connect. I know we've been trying to set this up for a while. So, People know you as sort of the head of Hudson Music and one of the original founders of the DCI drum video thing, but you are actually a drummer as well. So I'm curious to kind of go back to your earlier days as a drummer and find out a little bit about what sparked your passion as a drummer, which eventually led you into becoming a student at the Drummers Collective School in New York. So where did your passion for this all start? No idea. Um, no, you know, and that's the truth. No one in my family, you know, really played music, you know, had, there were records around the house and, you know, the radio would be on or they'd play some, some music. I don't know how or why or when it happened, but we, um, just start, you know, started listening to some records. And, and I remember some of my earliest records, believe it or not, um, one in particular had Hal Blaine on it, and I think maybe some Earl Palmer. It was the Wrecking Crew guys. It was Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. And there was one song in particular that I wore out called The Lonely Bull. Great song. I don't know why. it, And I don't even know how I first heard it. You know, I was I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really, really young. And I started playing, you know, some drums. I, you know, I saved money and would get a drum, you know, drive my bike up to the music store and give them another $5 and then <laughs> until I got enough for the tom-tom, you know, and kind of like that, you know, I started playing a little bit. The other record that really influenced me and and kind of said, this is something I, I really would enjoy doing was the uh, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced record. It just, 
kind of put a spell on me. The, the, the day I opened the record, I had a little phonograph. It was like this big with a speaker like that big. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started playing that record and I couldn't stop. It, literally, I was like hours of playing the, the record over and over. And um, I could still picture sitting in my room with this tiny little record player. And and that's really, um, you know, that's really kind of how it started for me. I, I don't know why or where the passion came from. Um, I'm thankful, you know, I had a passion for something, you know, I always, I have three kids and I tell my kids since they were young, really young, you know, I, I've always told them, find something you love to do. Cause there's an awful lot of days you have to wake up and get out of bed and go do something for the rest of your life. So find something. And, and to me, it wasn't a question of what it was as long as it was motivating for them to want to do something, you know, that they would look forward to waking up every day, get out of bed and going to do it. And, uh, and thankfully knock on wood, all three of them have found a passion in life that, uh, rings their bell, you know, and I'm really thankful for that. And I think they are too, but that was, that was really it for me and my philosophy about playing, you know, playing drums is just, you know, find find something. And if it's drumming, that's wonderful. But find something that you love to do and 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 do it. And I've been very blessed to sort of patch a career that involved drumming. I still play now. I'm actually playing more maybe now than I have in, in, in quite a number of years. But uh yeah, I still I still love it and I still have a passion for playing and for you know bringing drum information out to to the world i still enjoy thinking about a a new title or a new product or somebody to work with or you know it gets it's harder and harder to reinvent and re you know kind of reinvent the wheel after this many years and and this many products but i got a great team you know of people really that have really supported um my a lot of my ideas and um they get more and more involved in 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 the company and the production of of the books and so forth so you know it's it's been a great transition i'm kind of all over the place with your answer but uh you know it it all boils down to coming back to your original question to to the passion somehow i was gifted with it and um you know i'm still doing it here a lot of years later <laughs> Well, you're an industry leader in the education industry in terms of providing such amazing access to instructional videos and distribution of some of the most renowned and in-demand drum books out there. Going back earlier on, you went to the Drummers Collective School as a student, which you eventually ended up buying with your partner, Paul Siegel, um, back, I believe it was in around uh, 1980 when you when you bought the school. But what brought you to the school in the first place, and what were you seeking at that time as a student? At, at that point, um, I was in my mid twenties, and I had gone away to college. I I was raised in in New York, in Westchester County, north of Manhattan, about an hour north, and I went to college in Florida and played a lot during college. But when I got, when I graduated, I really didn't have 
a plan or a job waiting for me or any path. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to play music. So I moved back to New York to my parents' home and I didn't know anybody because I'd been away for, for those four years. And those are real formative years from, you know, when you're at college, you know, a lot of your life is shaped and, you know, a lot of contacts happen for your future in that window. Excuse me. So I didn't really know anyone. So I started working at a music store, Sam Ash Music in in Westchester, which was about 15 minutes away from my home. It was the kind of the first real job I ever had. Um, and I, you know, I went in and you know, it was it was a great experience. I and I did meet a bunch of Westchester, you know, local musicians, and I I'm still close with them. You know, we 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 ended up playing music, but then the Ash family asked me if I would work in the Manhattan store in the drum department. They needed some help down there, some reinforcements. So I said, "Wow, you know, I'll start now commuting every day, either taking the train or driving in to uh, Manhattan," um, and I did it. And that was also an, an incredible experience. I mean, in those days at that period of time, 48th Street was, you know, a real center. Um, you know, touring musicians would always hit 48th Street, you know, big, big bands. And, uh, you know, you'd never know who you'd see on the street. You know, there were 10 or 15 music stores on one block on both sides of the street, Manny's music, Alex music, you know, there were little shops, guitar shops. It was, it was a really exciting time in the city. And there were a lot of clubs and a lot of music going on. But um, I started hearing about drummers collective. Um, you know, it was, it was like this underground thing. I didn't really know what it meant. What does drummers collective mean? It was, you know, maybe at that point, a year and a half, two years old. And I realized from seeing, an, you know, I think an ad in, in an early modern drummer that it was really close by to where I was working. And it turned out it was on 40, 42nd Street and I was, the music stores were on 48th Street. So one day I walked down there during my lunch hour and Paul, my who became my partner was at the front desk and um you know we we but you know became friends um i started studying there i wanted to um you know really develop my drumming skills i have not studied um since i was in elementary school probably and a little bit in high school so i started taking some lessons there at night and you know got friendly with paul um and one day we 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 went out to lunch. I mean, I really barely knew him. He, and he said, you know, don't tell anybody, but Rick, you know, the original owner wants to try to move back to his family's business in Boston and he's trying to sell it. And there's nobody that's really interested. And my, you know, my wife happened to walk in at that point we were in you know having a first lunch together. I mean, that our friendship was about 20 minutes, yeah. you know, old. And, um, you know, she kind of half jokingly said, well, why don't you guys buy it? You know, because I really didn't have a real plan or any kind of path at that point, other than, you know, I was working retail in a music store. So I left that lunch meeting and Paul and I started thinking I had no money, um, you know, 
we we scraped money pretty much to have lunch that day and we we spoke to rick the two of us and and he couldn't find anyone else to sell it to so kind of by default you know we ended up buying the school and what that meant was really buying the name um which it was very small at that point um but very prestigious had some you know fantastic teachers which i can you know address in a minute but the uh the thing that we bought was the instruments really and, and rick agreed to be paid off over time so paul and i borrowed a few dollars from our families each of us and ended up you know i was 25 years old and all of a sudden i had keys to a door lock in yeah. in a building in manhattan and I, here i am i i own a building you know and there's a lease and there's insurance and there's accounting and there's you know payroll and all these other things and you know we we just really kind of learned as we went along um fell into every hole possible made every mistake possible but you know we the the thing that personally for me that i always uh try to put at the front of every decision was the integrity of what we were doing so sometimes we would do things that didn't make financial sense but they had a lot of integrity or they were important for various reasons and we would we would do it and produce the product or work with an artist or develop the, the content really um i mean you know the times were very different back in the day of of the the collective and then you know the video company dci music video kind of grew out of the collective in the early you know it was shortly after paul and i owned the school that um i was talking to a friend of mine one day and he said you know there's this thing that's going to be in everyone's living room you know not too far down the road this friend of mine that worked at you know nb he was a cameraman at nbc he's up on the latest technology and there's this thing called the vcr and it just all clicked for me and i said wow if we can film some of these guys that are coming here giving classes at the collective people all over the the world would would want to see it you know there was no you know chance at that time the drum clinic industry if you want to call it that was was in its infancy so you know guys would do some some store clinics um but you know here we were getting guys like you know Lenny White and Bernard Purdy and you know people Louis Belson people like that that would come in to the school to do a class so we just started documenting it with some very early video cameras and very crude lighting we would tape lights to the ceiling one day we burned the ceiling panels because the lights got too hot we knew nothing about video or lighting or production or audio mixing you know and it just you know grew one one thing uh led to another and um that that's really how it all it all the pieces kind of all fit together you know and again i was just so fortunate that we um had these opportunities in those days and and you know kind of seized it you know and took 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 advantage of the times because there wasn't a lot of competition at that point um in drum in drum education and and drum media and so forth well and when you look back 
to that era, the access that drummers had to their heroes was through Modern Drummer magazine and a lot of other print-based magazines where the access that you had was reading the articles, cutting out the pictures, although I never cut out any pictures of my Modern Drummer and I still have like 40 years worth of issues saved. But they would get the posters, put them on the wall, buy the records, go to the show. But that was the access that you had. You didn't have the ability to kind of ask the questions or really hear the stories behind what made them who they are. And I think that's one of the things that was so iconic about the stuff that you were doing back then with the advent of the DCI drum videos is that you basically opened the curtain. You gave drummers access to their heroes and it made everything much more accessible. And that's one of the things that was so inspirational about that time. Back then you wanted to learn music, you bought a record and you devoured that record. You would play side A and then you'd flip it over and that's how you learned music. Now with a lot of technology, because there's so much of it, it's so easy to get overwhelmed. But back then when you released the DCI videos, you would play the VHS, you get to the end, you rewind it, you would go back and you try and find that one little section and you really absorbed the information in a way that was just such an incredible tool to allow us to kind of like once again have access to to our heroes and really kind of learn these little tidbits that all help develop our own skills. And so I want to thank you for doing that because it was so inspirational to me in my development years as a drummer as all of the Hudson music products continue to do today so I owe you a lot and I and it's like I said it's a real pleasure to actually get a chance to to tell you how much that stuff meant to me well thank you uh, you know it's 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 why you know I do it and our team does it you know it's really to um you know it's 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 like you know we're drummers trying to help other drummers and and I've developed um, all these years, kind of a position where I can call on people. They they either know about the product or the company or, or, or they have something that we've done or they know who I am or, you know, whatever it is. So it, 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 it it's we've we've had access to a lot of, you know, really remarkable people. And it's you know, it's 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 kind of I don't look back that much. I, I tend to look forward more. But when I do something like this and 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 you force me to <laughs> back 20 30, 30 maybe 40 years um you know it's uh it's 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 you know i can't really couldn't have, you know made it up or dreamt this path that that kind of uh i was on and you know i'm still i'm still on you know it's it's really um you know special and you know the, i do want to say and it's a little apart from your questions so far, but, you know, I do want to just say one thing and that part of the reason this has all worked for me um, and for the drum world, um, it's, it's the drumming fraternity, as I call it, it's the best fraternity in the world. And um, I, you know, I've seen it from, you know, going to PAS shows from the mid eighties to, uh, you know, the Progressive Arts Society, that is um, for people that maybe aren't sure what that is a great organization. They have an annual convention um, for all percussion, but, you know, drum sets, one of the, the kind of backbones of the organization. And um, 
you know, whenever you put drummers in a room, whether it was at a master class at Drummers Collective for 50 people or, you know, what whatever, or a 2,000 seat, you know, hall with a master class that we've all been to it, you know, I call them a hug fest, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's the drummers fraternity that really, you know, you, you referenced that we were able to pull back the curtain a little bit, which absolutely was the goal. So that people, especially because drumming is so visual, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes out of an article or an exercise, written exercise to really visualize the drummer sitting there. For me, I was always motivated and understood what somebody was doing when I could see them do it, you know, and it's not just mm -hmm. the notes and what drum they were touching at that point, but it was their attitude, their posture, sitting behind a kit, their aggressiveness or their lack of aggressiveness um you know for what they were doing or musical passage so to me you know seeing somebody live um that's when you really understood what what somebody was about and you know it took me a while and i was young but what i definitely learned was that the great drummers and the great keyboard players or guitar players or or cello players, you know, the great musicians and really the great artists, I think it's a broader um, scope than music, um, but the great artists express themselves and, and their art is who they are, mm -hmm. you know, and when you get to meet somebody that you look up to, or in any of the arts, and you get to kind of know who they are a little bit, you realize that their uh, performance, whether it's at, in painting or in sculpture or in architecture or playing the drums, it, the, the greats can kind of communicate their personality through their work, whatever that work is. And that's really, to me, the point that we we would we, you know as we filmed guys and i could see how different guys played and their personalities and how those two intersected that was really the level that was like the the next level of kind of learning and teaching um depending on which side of the coin you're on that's really the game changer once you kind of understood that and, you know, for somebody and I, you know, I've been working since COVID again. Um, and because of partially because of COVID, like somebody like Steve Gadd, you know, we've done a couple of books over the last few years. And it just, you know, working with him, it reminds me of why he plays the way he does. And it's really because of his heart, you know, and soul. And it, it maybe sounds trite, but that's what I learned doing what I've done all these years. And, you know, there's many, many musicians that I've gotten to work with that, that were just, you know, incredible spirits and it would, it would flow into, in, in, you know, in their, in their music. So 
I've gotten off point here, but um, I, w- I want to reference Steve Gadd for a minute. I looking back, the first time I actually had a chance to see Steve play was actually at a, a drum clinic that he gave in Toronto. I believe I was 16 at the time, and I think they had upwards of about four to 500 people that actually attended the clinic because when Steve Gadd was in town, it was an event because he so rarely did these types of, of clinics because he's just so busy. And I remember just being blown away by how soft-spoken he was, but how dynamic and how incredible this playing was. And it wasn't that there was an element of complexity to what he was doing. He was just painting the music. He's he he's such an avid fan of music. And I think that's one of the things that makes him such a beautiful player, is that although he is highly accomplished as a drummer, his sole purpose and his sole vision is to just make music feel good to people and to make it incredibly expressive. And I remember at one point during the clinic, he was talking about the importance of dynamics and he sat down and he played this really simple beat and everyone's kind of sitting down in their seats, just kind of analyzing, getting into the groove. And then he would just add the occasional accent backbeat which would just everyone in the room just kind of got shocked by this because they started to realize how powerful dynamics were in a musical context versus just being bombarded with with notes which has its place as well too and that's something that does inspire a lot of people but i was very fortunate at that time that i actually won the door prize which was a yamaha recording custom snare drum and after the clinic after the clinic he had done uh, he came out to do a really quick signing because he had a flight to catch. And, they, and so, unfortunately, most people didn't get a chance to meet him. But me as a shy 16-year-old standing in the back of the line going, I'm just going to leave now because I'm just so overwhelmed to be in his presence. Um, but they, because I won the door prize, they brought me up to the front and I had a chance to meet him. And he's one of the sweetest nicest, kindest, most humble people that I've ever had the pleasure to meet. And I only met him for a couple of minutes at that point. And then fast forward 20 years later, same sort of thing. I attended one of his mission from GAD clinics that he had done. And the clinic started late because he refused to cut the line short. Everyone that had stood in line to meet him, he wanted to make sure that he had a chance to meet. And so you got your one minute with him. But once again, he was just so happy to meet you and so genuinely kind that that it makes everyone feel like once again the part of the brother and part of the the community there's just so much kindness and information out there that everyone just kind of wants to share and it's just for me that's one of the great joys in my life is just being able to be part of that community absolutely Absolutely. And as you said, you can learn from reading notes on a page, but you really need to watch the person play because that's really the story and the spirit behind the things that they do. So once again, while we're on the topic of GAD, Hudson Music just recently put out absolutely brilliant project on Steve GAD, which was A Life in Time, which is not only a, a biography, it's also a style and analysis. It's a beautiful hardcover book. I was thrilled to be able to get one of the limited edition ones. And I just devoured every word. And what I love so much is that it wasn't just the transcriptions it was the stories behind that so when you read the stories and got to hear the his experiences and his memories about the pieces that the transcriptions refer to it just 
completely changed the whole learning experience. And I think it's an exceptional and essential piece of work. So I'm so happy that you guys actually made the time to put this out because I know it was an awful lot of work, but it's something that you should be proud of. No, thank you. Yeah, it was. I um, I worked the fellas hard on that one. <laughs> I was like, you know, behind the chair, you, you know, whipping the the whip. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time. And, you know, I mean, Steve, you know, what's really incredible about him is once he commits to doing something, he's all in. You know, one story that I've told a few times and, you know, stop me if you've heard it. But when we were doing the Gadamans book um, during COVID, it really evolved because he was home. All of his gigs, you know, tours and everything were canceled, record dates and, and whatever. And he was just trying to play in his house to keep his hands in, in good shape. So he got these rubber tip sticks. And, and I was talking to his wife one day and she said, she said, oh, Steve's driving me crazy. You know, at two in the morning, I hear him tapping away on the kitchen counter, you know, and he, he just he won't stop. And now it's getting worse. You know, you got to do <laughs> something to help me out. So I said, well, tell him to call me. You know, let's talk about what he's doing. Maybe there's a pro, you know, maybe there's something there that we can we can, uh, you know, turn into something that'll be useful for other people that are home doing the same thing. And that's how the Gadamans book really came about. But what was incredible, and, and it just illustrates to me what Steve is all about, is there was a, a, a window, the book was just about finished, and um, he had to go to London, to England, to do a Eric Clapton record. And, you know, they it was like the first time he'd been on a plane, you know, it was like all a bubble, you know, everyone was masked, and the 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 band they were living in a um i don't know if it was a chateau you know whatever it was out in the countryside i think that they were the only people there and and so there was a bubble of you know people that were serving food it was the same people day in and day out they, they you know they really tried to protect so no one would get sick but one night you know it was like 10 o'clock at night 11 o'clock at night new york east coast time you know, the phone rings, you know, you know, I talked to Steve, you know, almost daily, you know, or you know, it was a lot, a, a lot of, of time, you know, to put that book together. But this one particular night he called, he had got, you know, he'd been recording with Clapton. He was there, you know, for maybe a week. We hadn't talked much in, in that period because, he, you know, he, he focuses so deeply on what he's working on. But he said, listen. Open up the, uh, the proof, you know, we had a proof. He said, open up, go to like page 22, bar eight. I want the last acts, the last eighth note accented in, in, in that bar. And I'd say, okay, no problem, Steve. I said, what else? He said, no, that's, that's all I wanted to tell you. Just, you know, and then another hour went by and he called back and he said, you know, go to page like 37, you know, bar six, you know, I want that first note accented. It changes the feel of the whole exercise. And I said, it was, you know, it was incredible that he would be looking at that. It was like, you know, three, four in the morning, London time. And, and you know, it, it, I was so like, you know, blown away that he called. I said, Steve, listen this is it. No more calls tonight. I don't want Eric calling me tomorrow and telling me you're tired, you know, showing up <laughs> to work, you know, 
but that's the intensity that that he does with um that he puts in on all, all anything he, he tackles including the the life and time book you know we painstakingly kind of came up with the song list of the 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 material that that part of the book would would get into and a lot of the tunes he hadn't heard in a long time so we would do these zoom calls you know the author uh, Joe Bergamini Steve and myself and Joe would we we would pick like five or six tunes for each call and Joe would play a tune and there'd be you know silence I mean we'd hear the music and and we'd see Steve he was just sort of bopping with the music and you could tell he hadn't heard this in in a long time and you know it, he 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 wouldn't comment on the music until he heard the entire song first of all it wasn't like Oh yeah, you know Ricky, you know Chucky's in love. Like you know, he he listened to to, to to the whole piece, and then he would you know kind of comment on it, and and it would jar memories from you know we'd ask him you know who was in the studio, you know was was there a rehearsal like the the early Chick Corea tunes, you know, you know it was fascinating if you read the book, I did, you know yeah. some of those stories, the way that stuff went down. Um, but you know, he we would talk about you know how it came together, how much liberty he had in a tune, how much liberty he had interpreting a chart, you know, things like that. And the one thing I will suggest, if you haven't, is I put together a Spotify page with all the songs in the book, and so we urge you, like while you're reading the book, to to have the Spotify open and and listen to the tune while you're reading about the tune it really brings it really brings it to life then so it's just something I want your your listeners and you to to be aware of um and on on the gad page on our website it has the Spotify link so you know it doesn't cost anything you just click on it and you know there's like uh, uh, you know quite a bit of music there but they're all you know th- they're all uh, listed in order so you can read down the book and 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 play the music. Well, I think one of the things that I liked about the book is that it made me realize how much of this music I actually have in my record collection and my mm-hmm. CD collection. So I, I, I've kind of went through and I pulled a bunch of things. So right now I've got a gad shelf so that I can go back and kind of revisit a lot of these things. So I... Yeah, but I'm going to definitely check out the Spotify things for the stuff that I don't have. But I, I think about two thirds of the stuff in the book I already have have bought and was was familiar with. It's amazing. You know, think about what you just said. Yeah. You know, two thirds, you know, you have two thirds of, you know, all this music that this one person helped create. You know, it's 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 a pretty staggering statement. You know, if you if you really think about what you just said and 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 the the output of his, you know, music, you know, and, and the styles that, that it transcends, you know, it's, it's really, he's a remarkable, um, you know, for me personally, he's my favorite musician of, you know, modern music, you know, I just, uh, just think the world of his, his music and his expression, you know, on the drums. Well, another thing that I also think that makes the Hudson music products so um, exceptional is that I don't think people always realize to the extent how much the artists are actually involved in a lot of these. Because sometimes the big companies they'll come along and they'll put together a little book on a style analysis or something, but it's their version of mm-hmm. 
how they view the artist. But it's something that you guys do so well is that, first of all, if the artist doesn't want it done, you're going to respect that. And at the same time, too, you allow the artist to have such a huge part of these these projects. I know David Garibaldi has a ton of projects that he's done through you as well, too. And once again, he's a, another one of those artists that is so exceptionally meticulous about how his work is presented that I could see him being incredibly actively involved in these books as well. To totally. You know, I mean, we, we've done a lot. I've, I've known David for probably, you know, more than 30 years. Um, I just found a picture recently popped up in my phone memory of, you know, from my photo archive that just, um, we were kid, and, you know, I was a kid. It was, you know, it was a, amazing anyway. But yeah, David is one that, you know, every note, every accent, you know, we, 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 we go through um, everything, you know, very, very, you know, carefully with a big, big, you know, magnifying glass and uh you know to me the i i wouldn't want to try to interpret somebody's work without their involvement um it just it doesn't make sense to me i mean you know there's a place for that analysis but it it's so much stronger when the artist you know, can can tell you what it was really like or what the session was like or what, you know, a, a performance of the tune that they remember. Um, you know, one that comes to mind last year, we put out a, a, a book uh, similar to Steve's, not, not in hardcover, with Stuart Copeland. And, you know, we, we go through, obviously, a lot of police you know, tunes and parts, but some of his side projects also. And Stuart was, you know, at first, you know, I, I wasn't sure how involved he, he said he would be involved. And I said, you know, it's the only way we would do this is if you will be involved and, and, you know, you endorse the final product at the end, or, you know, if you, if you're not happy with it, you know, we're, we're you know, it's not going to come out until you are. And, he was very generous also with his time same thing zoom calls and you know he, he he was you know amazing to work with and and his memory and attention to detail and he would remember you know some of the police stuff there are multi multi tracks of like click and percussion and hi-hat parts overdubbed so it's a bear to transcribe, but he would go through the stuff. He's he's a good reader. He does he does you know. Right now he's been doing primarily you know these symphonic um, yes. performances, you know, of police tunes and other music. So he you know he's and he conducts the the orchestra. I mean he's very very studied as a as a you know a, as a musician in terms of his reading abilities and and everything. His you know his music notation, his theory. So it was a joy to to work with him and hear him tell some of these stories, you know, it was and then we would then interpret that and put it into text to go along, you know, with the book. As, you know, the the one of the first ones that we did that was like this the, it was kind of the template for for the Copeland book and the Gad book was the Neil Pert book. Um and Neil was you know actively involved in that also from the song selection to, um, you know, photographs and, and the design, the cover work. You know, Neil was another one that was always very, very generous with his time 
when we worked on a project together, you know, in, in, incredibly generous. Um, you know, I, I think about him all the time still. And, you know, he was just a remarkable human being and a, and a, just a, a real great guy. You know, I don't know, you know, I can't really come up with the words or I'll, I'll get all choked <laughs> up, but he was just so special, Neil. And, you know, it took a long time to get him to do the first project back in the 90s. And, you know, we never asked him for anything. We never took advantage of the relationship. And and because of that, we, you know, we, we got closer and closer. And, you know, it, it, we would visit him um, at his place in, 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 in Santa Monica. And, you know, it was, it, it was, it was a great relationship. But th that was the, the template for these other books started with Neil's, where it was a study of of the music with transcriptions and stories. And um, Steve's got a little more biographical than than Neil's and Stewart's, because Steve had never, you know, done any kind of writing or biography or anything like that. So I just felt, let's just put everything we can into this project, and that's why it took so long. You know, a side story, and I'm I'm yapping away here. You know, but a side story with Steve is, uh, like he called from England at you know three in the morning his time to talk about an accent on an eighth note. He'd call up when we were finishing up the the uh, a life and time book, and he'd say, "Listen, um, you know, my grandmother was really important. Do you think in that early section when we were talking about when I was, you know, a, a really young kid, did I talk enough about my grandmother? You know, <laughs> I say, yes, Steve, I think it's good. Let, let me go back and look at it and I'll call you tomorrow, you know. And then he'd call a few days later. You know, I just want to make sure that I talk enough about my brother because he was really important. We took lessons together and played drums together when we were like three years old, you know. And so this is this is what these guys um, are like to work with, you know, and you have to sign, you know, you're signing on for it. You know, it's not like, you know, we, we would say I'd say to Steve, oh, you know, I'm having dinner now. I'll, I'll, you know, I can't talk or, you know, you just sort of do it mostly because it's fun. It's it's always fun. And second, like you said, these guys are so busy that, you know, sometimes it's it's hard, you know, not not because they don't want to, but because they're physically, mm -hmm. you know, doing whatever they're doing and focused on other things, you know, at the, at the time. After the GAD book came out, you had posted frequently on social media that you're getting almost daily calls from Steve to see how people were responding to the book and whether or not they liked it, which means that he truly genuinely cared about every aspect of this project and he wanted to make sure that it's something that both inspired and touched people in terms of how they can connect to music and really bring that passion across and once again i think it's something that you and the team did exceptionally well the Stuart copeland book and the neil peart book i also bought and devoured and i've got quite i think i got two shelves of books probably three quarters of them were all things that you had your hand in at some point either as Thank a developer you. or distributor and i'm a traditionalist in terms of the fact that i know a lot of the trend now is to kind of go towards the digital aspect of education and books and it's something that i do support as well but there's to me there's still something tangible about taking a book off the shelf putting it on that music stand as well so i do appreciate that even though 
you know, much like, you know, DVDs and things have kind of gone away, gone more to the digital aspect in terms of downloads. I do appreciate the fact that you're still pursuing the, the print aspect in addition to the digital aspect, because I think they both have a place and there will always be print people and there'll always be digital people. And I, th I think it's, it's great that you're kind of catering to both of those. Now, I want to be respectful of your time as well, too. You've always got tons of projects in the go. Is there any upcoming things that you're working on that you can talk about most of the time you can't until they're announced but i um but i know that there's always some things that you're working on yeah we usually have a few things you know kind of cooking on the back burner of the oven you know yes yeah, so there's some great you know some great stuff you know we just released and and we didn't promote it heavily yet because it, it's just available digitally right now but right before Ralph Humphreys passed literally several weeks before he reached out and asked if Hudson would be interested in publishing his teaching materials. And of course I said, yes. I mean, you know, I didn't know Ralph well. We had met, you know, just very quickly at a trade show or, you know, said hello. And, you know, he knew who I was and obviously I knew who he was. But um, a, a, a teacher and a student of, of Ralph's and that I've worked on other projects with named Mike Packer um, said that he was working with Ralph to really take the materials that Ralph and Joe Precaro used when they had a, a drum program in L.A. at a certain point in time, way back, and you know, Ralph really wanted to see that put into book form. And not only that, he, he said he was going to go in, even though he knew he was very sick, he he went in to Drum Channel. Don Lombardi gave him the, the time to film a lot of these exercises. And I, I think we, we released the four books digitally. Um, about a week ago, and they'll be coming out in about two weeks physically, all four books, and it's all of Ralph's and Joe's teaching from, from their school. I think across the four books, it's 170 or 180 video pieces. So it's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that Ralph trusted us to kind of shepherd his life's work of teaching. So that's something I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, it, you know, he, he um, passed young, um, you know, we lost another great to cancer, but um, and he was a great guy, you know, and we, we got to speak a few times um, literally right before he was, you know, he passed, um, it, you know, it was, it was an emotional thing for me to be talking to him and then get a call, you know, a day or two later that that he had passed and he had just finished all the videos. He somehow was mind over reality mm -hmm. and he got himself through it. So those are those are coming out. And like I said, I'm very proud that we have that. Um, and those will be both physical and digital. And then um, also at the printers is kind of the part two of the Jeff Picaro biography that Robin Flans did. 
you know, Robin was so close with Jeff and had so many, so much interaction with him over many years. There was a lot of material that she couldn't work into the first book and interviews that she couldn't conduct in time to release the first book. Like, you know, we, we kind of worked on that book for, for quite a while and we, we, we sort of set a, a, a time parameter and kind of said, listen, if somebody doesn't check in by, you know, September 1st, you know, we're, we're going to have to move on. And you can tell them that, you know, there's a deadline and, you know, a bunch of people who were traveling, either on the road, you know, they were in the middle of producing a record. So she didn't get them in the first book, but then they would call back and say, oh, is it too late? Let, let's do the interview now. And, you know, she started getting these calls and she called me up one day. And she said, look, I know we, we just put this book one out, but there might be enough for a second book here because people are, you know, coming, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you know, connecting with people that I couldn't either reach or were too busy or their management wouldn't tell them about the project at the time. So we're putting out a second Jeff Picaro biography, um, probably in January. Uh, it's at the printers now. And, you know, it's got a lot of photos that have never come out. We've tapped a couple of family pictures. You know, his family kind of came forth with stuff that they just had found photo wise. So I'm really excited. I mean, I think Jeff's one of the great, great drummers of our time. And, um, you know, his legacy, he's been gone quite a while. And his name and legacy is as big as as it's ever been, which is really remarkable, you know. So and part of that is the reason I do what I do is to is to is to preserve these guys' contributions, you know. I really wish I could have worked more with some of the early, you know, guys like, you know, Gene Krupa, you know, Buddy, you know, guys like that, that um, were, were obviously so important in, in, in the lineage and history, but I never got a chance to work with them. It was before my time. I love the fact that Hudson Music has also started putting out some of these biographies. I believe, I think, not including the Roots of Rock one, which is a collection of interviews, which was an amazing book. I think there's been five biographies that you have put out so far. I think there was well, there was the the Jeff Picaro one, Buddy Rich one, the Liberty DeVito one, um, and then there was a couple of there was a couple of other ones in there as well too. Bobby yeah, Morris, yeah, the I, Bobby I think Morris, the Morris the, one. Unbe unbelievable life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I bought them all and I devoured them all, and I will buy all of the ones that keep coming out. So, <laughs> so you. there definitely is a market for the for the biography one as well. well so, thank you, thank you for doing that. So, sure. um, as we wind up here, looking mm -hmm. back at all of the things that you have sort of experienced throughout your journey up to this point, is there any advice? that you usually like to offer to kind of like, you know, the, the up and coming generation in terms of just finding their way in this um, drumming business, whether as a player or, or a business aspect? You know, not really, uh, or maybe indirectly. Um, I think, you know, the music business as a business has gotten harder and harder, as we all know, you know, record sales aren't, what they were, the number of records coming out. So the studio work isn't what it used to be. I mean, it's a fraction of what it was, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Um, I think that 
if you want to be a working drummer, I think what's really important is that you can read music because the the kind of the the learning curve, you know, if you're doing a show or you know you're you're with a band that has charts or you know someone's traveling and coming into town and you're going to support them for some gigs in your area, you know, that work is definitely around, but you need to be able to read music or you need to be able to listen to music and make your own chart. Um, you know, Kenny Aronoff's talked a lot about, you know, the versatility he has and he has his own kind of style, but everything he does, all these TV shows, you know, they, they sometimes, you know, it's a day or two of rehearsal and he's got to play, you know, 18 songs. And so, you know, it's all, he has his, his charts, you know, right there, whether they're handwritten or they're in an iPad. Um, I think it's really essential that, that you you become a, a decent reader. You don't have to be like a, a ridiculous reader, but you need to be able to understand a, a chart and and the roadmap and repeat signs and things like that. Um, I think that also you need to be able to really cover a, a variety of styles. You know, I think to say, well, I'm going to play rock and roll or I'm going to be a jazz drummer. You know, it, it's very hard or you're you're eliminating opportunity by by being too narrowly focused. I think you know, and and I'm talking really now about trying to work and support yourself playing music. You know, if you have a, a, a another career or a job and you do it on the weekends, yeah, you can say you know I want to play X Y music, and that's it. You know, I want to you know, play in, in, in a lounge or I want to, you know, do theater, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But I think the broader, you know, your kind of canvases, you know, the, the better uh, shot you're going to have. And I, I think the other thing that's so important, um, and I've seen it in some of my own gigs lately that I've been asked to do, it's, showing up on time being prepared being professional and and being fun to be around you know guys that are kind of the chronic complainers or it's oh you know oh, i forgot my my snare stand I, I you know whatever whatever it is you know be professional be thorough um and 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 be fun to be around because you know you, you spend if you're doing gigs, you're doing a short tour, you're on the road for a couple of you know weekends at a time, you know, you're with the same people a lot. And you want to be the kind of person that people look forward to seeing and and not like, oh no, I gotta work with him again. Oh, that's a bummer. You know, you don't you don't want to ever have that kind of vibe and attitude. So, you know, I think, you know, all of these things, nothing there's no there's no secret sauce here and there's no fairy dust, you know, but it's all of these things combined that will give you a better shot. And, you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with, with pl pl playing in your garage or your basement or your music room and, and just enjoying the hell out of playing drums alone with tracks, you know, or jamming, you know, going to local jam sessions during the week, a lot of clubs, uh, offer you know local jams it's a great way to meet people and have fun and 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 that's a great learning experience in itself too 
uh, and a way to meet people. So I, I I always say to people, you know, find out if a local bar has got like a Tuesday night jam. Go and make yourself known and get to know people. It's a great thing and and fun. And that's what what playing should be. It should always be fun uh, underneath, you know, the the work that goes in. Well, I've often said that the the key in terms of being a musician is to have fun, find joy. And sometimes that means following a different path because when everyone follows the same path, you start to realize that we're all unique in terms of the things that we want and in terms of the gifts that we have. So, you know, find your path, follow your joy and just be part of this amazing community. Rob, it was an absolute pleasure to connect with you. As I said, I'm a huge fan of all of the things that you have accomplished throughout your career and continue to do so. And I wish you all the best. I hope that we can connect again at some point. And I'm very excited about some of your upcoming projects as well. Thank you, Michael. You know, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed yapping away here. I hope I didn't bend your ear too much, but, um, Thank you, you know, for giving me a chance to uh, say a few things and hopefully somebody maybe will grab one thing I said and it'll they'll think about it for a minute. So all good. And and also, I know this is going to be around for a long time, but right now we're we're entering the tomorrow is the first day of December. So I'll say happy holidays yeah. uh, to you and to anyone that's listening, you know, all the best. All right, man. Thanks again. been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going thanks for listening and i'll see you next time